Hello and welcome to Conversations with Mother Earth, brought to you by Grounded Press. My name is Dana Petrovic, and each week my guests and I explore one aspect of Mother Earth and the gifts that she gives us. We also discuss why these gifts are so precious and why we should value them. We got you curious? Good. We love curiosity. Let's start. Today's conversation with Mother Earth will be a bit different, but not so surprising, considering the various topics we have covered so far. My guest in this episode is Professor Xiong Bo She, who is based in China, uh, Shenzhen, as I am right now. This episode will be a combination of an online and a face-to-face meeting. But before we start, I have a question for you. Do you remember being taught handwriting. In my childhood in the former Yugoslavia, we were duty-bound by our teachers to write in a very precise way with all the alphabet letters slanted slightly to the right. More recently in my life, when I started to learn the Mandarin language, I became fascinated with the writing of Chinese characters. They seem to be an art form What astounded me was the strict rigor and discipline that is applied to writing Chinese characters. Each stroke must follow a long established order of movement and even a certain rhythm of motion. Calligraphy is also held in high esteem across East Asia, like in Japan and Korea. We even talk about calligraphy in the episode about sculpture on 3rd January. In this episode, we will focus on China, though. My guest today can share deep insights about Chinese calligraphy. He is assistant professor at Shenzhen University and has studied art history in Christchurch, New Zealand, and in Nanjing, China. He has also written scholarly articles and books about calligraphy. Professor Xiong Bo Shu, welcome to Conversations with Mother Earth. Thank you for having me. Siongbo, you have written many articles on the aesthetics of calligraphy. What is meant by this? And what personally motivated you to pursue interest in this discipline? Uh, Well, uh, aesthetics uh, is a branch of uh, philosophy that deals with uh, the nature of beauty and taste. It is often used loosely to refer to the philosophy of art. So by the aesthetics of Chinese calligraphy, I mean the philosophy of uh, this art. And the issues discussed uh, would cover the forms, the creation and uh, the appreciation of this art. And what motivated me to spend three to four years uh, writing a thesis on this art, I think uh, when I look back, uh, when I look back at my childhood, my first uh, contact with Chinese calligraphy, an image started to emerge. Uh, it was my first calligraphy teacher, and my first Chinese teacher, uh, Warsaw. He was a middle-aged man crippled by polio from uh, any age. I don't quite remember uh, what, she ta- what he taught in my first calligraphy lesson, but his gestures demonstrating the calligraphic brush strokes in front of his class have lingered in my mind. His back is bent, his left hand trembles involuntarily as he holds the brush, as if every stroke would take all of strength. And that was 27, 28 years ago. And I believe it planted a seed for my academic pursuit. Yes. And it's a beautiful story how the hardships actually inspired you to pursue this. Uh, yes, it's, 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 uh, we, we experienced something similar here in Shenzhen, um, where we bought the painting, um, also painted by, um, by disabled men. And it, 
it always inspires me whenever whenever I look at it to overcome obstacles because I thought if this person can overcome obstacles and paint such a beautiful painting, I can also I can also do it. Yeah, there's definitely devotion and love. Yeah, behind this mastery of uh, of the techniques of the calligraphic brush strokes. And uh, I think we will we'll discuss this this aspect later in our uh, in our uh, uh, show. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. But it's, what's yes. interesting, Xiongbo, is that the Westerners' mm. interest in Chinese mm. arts and material uh, culture, such as Chinese paintings and ceramics, dates mm. back several hundreds of years. Yes. However, on the other side, it was not until the last century that the Chinese calligraphy started to attract the attention of the West. Mm. Why did it take us so long to appreciate this art? Why did the West uh, take such a long time? I think, um, I think a fundamental obstacle to appreciating uh, Chinese calligraphy is the fact that calligraphy is no parallel in the Western civilizations. And as a result, the very existence of this art uh, could not immediately register in the consciousness of any Western travelers to China. The reason is that usually people do not see, they only recognize. And what we do not recognize remains invisible to us. For centuries, foreign visitors to China, even if they were highly educated, uh, remain simply blind to the Chinese art of calligraphy. Another difficulty for the Westerners to appreciate calligraphy is that this art is intimately linked with Chinese language. But I think this aspect is secondary. As the sinologist Simon Nays said, to what extent is it necessary to be able to read Chinese in order to enjoy Chinese calligraphy, a preliminary answer to uh, maybe provide it in the form of another question. That is, to what extent is it necessary to be able to read music in order to enjoy a musical performance? Mm. Yes. <clears throat> Yeah, that's a very good example. That's a very good comparison. I'm glad that uh, this this has changed in the last uh, years. That we do see beauty in, in calligraphy. That we do appreciate that. Um, your academic background is in art history. So tell us, when did calligraphy become as a fine art in Chinese culture? Um, What's the background? Sure, sure. We know from reliable sources, reliable histor uh, historical documents, that by the first century uh, during the Han Dynasty, uh, the calligraphy already was regarded as a uh, fine art. Uh, as a result, educated people began to collect calligraphy by inspired hands and spend much time practicing uh, this art. And by the Han Dynasty, some calligraphies, some calligraphy works were already being uh, created for artistic, purely for artistic appreciation. That is not for utilitarian purposes, a tradition that continues uh, today. As to the social background, I think uh, during the Han Dynasty, the importance of writing for good government was widely recognized. The Han Dynasty administration depended heavily upon written documents, the census data, uh, the, re the, the, the material, the reports of bureaucratic, uh, uh, bureaucratic performance, tax figures, and materials on public policy. All of this uh, should be clearly recorded uh, by hand, of course. So good writing became the foundation of good government and the skill in writing was one criterion for uh, selecting government officials. And this remained the case in later uh, imperial dynasties. In imperial China, good calligraphy was regarded as a reflection of a high level of 
cultural achievement. And such cultural achievement was requisite for employment in high government positions. So good calligraphy was always uh, was always necessary for success uh, in the state uh, examinations. Uh, there was no separate calligraphy uh, calligraphy uh, part calligraphy section in the imperial examination, but this only demonstrate that how much uh, it was taken for granted. If a candidate had a poor calligraphy, examiners would not take his or her examination seriously. And for this reason, one can assume that virtually all scholar officials who passed the imperial examinations were competent, were competent calligraphers, at least to the extent that the writing would be neat and stylistically correct. Very interesting. Um, yeah. <clears throat> fascinating um, insight, Paul, because we talked about this in episode number eight when we talked yes. about poetry. So yes. to be become a bureaucrat in the Han Dynasty, one not only had to have a neat writings um, of calligraphy, but also one had to compose a poem, had to yeah. write a poem. And this is the, that's why Chinese poetry is so deep and, and so beautiful. Um, so it, this is really interesting how much work a candidate had to put into becoming a government official or government, a government worker. And of course, it's understandable that uh, because the documents were, documents documented the, the events, so one had to be able to read them later on. So the, yes. of course, understandable that the yes. writing, that the calligraphy had to be neat. Can you tell our listeners just briefly uh, to understand from the timeline, when was the time of the Han Dynasty? Was, I think if I remember correctly, the Han Dynasty runs from the second century BC to the second century AD, yeah, a few hundred years, yeah. So about 2000 years ago, over 2000 years ago, a government yes. official had, yeah. to, had to have a clean, a neat calligraphy writing style and had to be versed in poetry. Yes. That's yes. a long time ago. Yeah, that, that's yes. a long time ago. Mm. Mm. Yes? Yeah, I think um, when you, you just talk about yeah, uh, this, this calligraphy or handwriting uh, was used uh, during the Han Dynasty, for example, in composing poems. Uh, uh, a point need to be raised here is uh, when we are talking about appreciating the art of Chinese calligraphy, we are actually talking about the, the calligraphic forms and not necessarily about the literary content of the calligraphic works. So by which I mean a calligraphic appreciation is more about appreciating the, 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 the forms, uh, uh, the, the, the lines and the inks in the monochrome inks of, uh, of calligraphic works and not so much about uh, what calligraphic work uh, uh, about the, the literary content, not so much about the literary content of the calligraphic work. Yeah, I want to, I want to raise this, this point because it's quite important for, yeah, that's, that's uh, for this an art. important yes. point because today, as you said, today is, uh, and we'll talk about this in more depth in a moment, today is really just about the form of writing. You just reminded me of the episode that we did on Chinese poetry yes. a few a few months ago. It, it where we, I was astounded that this was one of the part part of the requirement to become a, a government official, um, because in other parts of the world, poetry is regarded something as a, the art form outside. Yet in this this. Uh, in China, this was completely different. So, but thank you. Yes, today we are focusing on the uh, on the form and the quality of a good a good calligraphy. And mm -hmm. one of the th uh, things that are interesting here in China, when we talk about present days, about today, when children 
began start to study calligraphy today in China. Their parents or teachers would give them the canonical works of masters to mm -hmm. imitate. So this practice of art, in a sense, involves a, to copy ancient masterworks um, of art. And so, of course, he, this poses the question, why is that? Um, would that be, in a sense, an obstacle to creative, creativity or innovation in this yeah. art? Yes, this is a very important or a very vital question for, uh, for us to understand uh, Chinese calligraphy. Uh, and uh, indeed, copying, uh, imitating the canonical classical works from uh, its previous masters is an important and uh, indispensable part of calligraphic training. And just as uh, great composers of Europe continue to study and practice uh, past masterpieces, even after uh, they developing their own styles, so did many uh, Chinese literary artists. They maintain lifelong dialogues with classical masters through the study and reperformance of the works. For them, writing, rewriting classical masterpieces, it was a normal activity of daily life. Uh, through rewriting canonical works, artists and calligraphers learned many subtleties of technique and artist and artistic vocabularies that might easily have been missed. By its beginners. And um, while the calligraphic practice as well as criticism features the past and the copying of the past models, the past masters, for Chinese calligraphers, it is by no means the goal to be a follower of previous masters. Uh, anxiety, for, uh, anxiety for many calligraphers is, is the fear that they will be called a slave writer, and uh, this is a unique aspect of Chinese aesthetics. The novelty, the creativity comes from a complete mastery of the past. It yeah, is believed nice. that uh, long-lasting copying practice and complete mastery of pre-existing skills uh, on the part of calligraphy uh, practitioner will need to newness and uh, innovation. And this is an irony, actually, in attention in this art. That is, one gave up freedom in order to attain freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yes. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's really interesting. Never thought of that way. But it's not different than... Um, in a sense, we have something similar in Europe with Pablo Picasso. When you, it's, a, yes. um, it's a fascinating biography of, um, mm -hmm. or a fascinating life of Pablo Picasso, for example, because he, as a little kid, back then there was no photography. So his father was responsible for creating copying uh, works of copying reality onto paper. And yes. so Pablo Picasso learned at a very, very young age to be very precise uh, he would if he would make a drawing of a dao uh, of a bird it would be very very precise and he learned with time to actually get away from this precision and there's a beautiful quote of his where he says it takes a long time to become a child and so he actually because he was not able to have that as a child because he had to be very precise in, in copying or uh, reprinting the reality, he actually abstracted from reality later. So he also had, in a sense, is very similar to what, what calligraphy artists have to do here in China. Yeah, I think um, artistic, artistic skills is a <clears throat> requisite for, uh, for, for, for both um, uh, Western and Eastern artists. Yeah the skills involved in every kind of art. Um, and that is needed uh, for artistic cre creativity, artistic creation. Yeah? And that's the same, yeah, no matter where an artist uh, is, yeah. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. Because art, com art connects us no matter where we are. Yes. The, uh, the expression of art. Xiongbo, after I started learning Chinese and writing Chinese characters, I of course did in pencil, <laughs> not knowing better. But with time, I learned that there are other tools that you actually use in calligraphy, like a brush, 
um, like ink, uh, ink stone, even something like paper weights and desk pads. So what, how do you use these tools? Can you demonstrate us? What do we have here the, on the table? We have uh, the ink stone, the brush, uh, the ink, prepared ink, and the paper. These are the four essential tools for calligraphy creation. And in traditional China, in every scholar's or official study room, you would find them. And uh, the four of them are also called the four treasures of the study room in traditional China. So let's start with the, the, the writing brush. Um, and Chinese calligraphic brush is made of animal hairs. For example, the goat's hair was hair of the rabbit. Yeah. The brush is, I would say, the single most important instrument tool for, for this art. It's a very sensitive instrument. And the mastery of the brush will require high level on the part of the calligrapher, uh, mental concentration, physical balance, and uh, muscular control. It is, it is like a seismograph of the, of, of the calligrapher's mind answering every pressure, every turn of the, of the wrist. And um, for the paper, yeah, the paper, the Chinese paper uh, was invented no later than the second century AD and also in the, in the Han Dynasty. And uh, it was soon became readily available and widely used by scholars and writers. And this is, we should be bearing in mind, this is very important for the emergence of this art in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, the Chinese paper, the, the paper used for Chinese calligraphy creation has an absorbent quality. That is, the slightest job of ink, the lightest touch of the brush, register at once on the paper. Yeah. No mistakes allowed. No mistakes allowed. This is a medium that tolerates no error, no mistake, no hesitation. Yes. <laughs> and uh, what? Oh, the ink. Um, in traditional China, we use a ink stick rather than prepared ink as we have here. You use the, you grind the ink stick against, against the, the ink stone and then we have this ink powder, and you mix this powder with water to produce usable ink for calligraphy. And well, today it's prepared ink is quite popular because it's just convenient. Exactly, yeah. yes. exactly. Yes. But the old masters, yes. when they traveled, they didn't want to risk that they lose the ink, so the yes. ink stone was a safer, yes. safer way. Yes, you exactly. Know, you can always add water to yes. it, and you always have ink. Yes, fascinating, exactly. Fascinating, yes. fascinating. Yes. Yeah, truly fascinating. Mm. Mm. Are there rules how to hold the brush? Um, basically, there are two main methods to hold in the brush. I will show both of them. Mm -hmm. And the first one is called the, the, the double hook. The first one is called the double hook, hook method, which is also called, which is also called the five-finger method. And... Uh, and the second one is called the single hook, the single hook method, as you can see here. And, and the difference between these two methods is, is for the double hook, you have the forefinger, you have the forefinger, and the middle finger hooks the brush. And for the single hook, you have only the second finger, it's forefinger hooks the brush. And for many, Chinese theorists and calligraphers, the five-finger method, that is the double-hook method, is recommended because this method employs all of the five fingers. Yeah, that is the forefinger and the middle finger. They plays part of moving the brush, twists the brush, and uh, that is the middle finger could move the brush downward 
or to the right, and the ring finger could leave the brush upwards and to the left. Yeah, and this needle finger plays part of a conductor and supports this uh, this this ring finger. Yeah, so all of these five fingers play a part in this handling of the brush, and of course the thumb and forefinger is most important because they receive strength from the wrist and the and the arm and even your whole body. Yeah. That's, that's basically the two main uh, methods to hold in the brush. So yeah, yeah, the, yeah. our fingers become an orchestra. It's like a symphony or like a <laughs> <laughs> they all play a part. Yes, yes, yes. And you have to hold the brush very tightly. Yeah. The control, the, the control is very important. The tightening controlling of the brush is very, is very important, mm -hmm. yeah. and that requires a long time's training. Yeah. Okay. Mm. As I mentioned at the beginning, there is in Chinese language an ex an exactitude in strokes, and there's uh, I read that there are during while learning Chinese there are eight strokes in Chinese language actually. I had to learn them at the beginning myself. Can you tell us more about these essential eight strokes that are actually fundamental for the Chinese language? Yes. I think I, it's possible for me to enlarge your question. And the, that is, when you mentioned eight basic strokes, and actually we're talking about the eight basic strokes of the regular script. No, yeah, of the, the regular script. Mm -hmm, and for chance calligraphy, we have five main scripts. That is the regular script, the sleeve script, the cursive script, the running script, what else? The running script, mm -hmm. yeah, this, these are five main scripts. And well, when the beginners, as what you said, the eight basic strokes, they refer to the eight basic brush strokes mm -hmm. of the regular script. And uh, all of these eight basic strokes are found in one in single one chance character that is called Yong, which means uh, eternal, eternity. So I would say there's no much mystery about these eight basic principles. Mm -hmm. So they're they're the fundamental tools. Fundamental the tools. Yeah, they have to write. Yeah, this character contains these eight basic strokes, such mm -hmm. as the dot. The horizontal stroke, the vertical stroke, the hook. Yeah. These are the basic strokes. Mm -hmm. yeah. These are the components for every chance character. And that makes the exact handwriting, the exact mastery of these brush strokes essential for the practice of this art. This is something that actually everybody can understand. Can you demonstrate to my listeners and viewers how we Westerners can appreciate the Chinese calligraphy without even knowing the Chinese language? How is that possible? And maybe you can show us the tools that you're using and, and write, uh, do a little bit of writing. Would sure. that be possible? Sure, 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 sure. We use the paper weight, that is to make the, the paper flat, yeah. suitable for calligraphic practice or calligraphic pr uh, creation. And, uh, and we use prepared ink. Put down on the, this piece of paper are eight characters. You, you could say it's a cook plate. Uh, basically, it means uh, the cool winds and bright moon, those who are at nature can attain them. And, um, and for chance calligraphic practice and creation, uh, normally the practitioners and calligraphers often choose poetic text for the creation. I think that is readily sensible to, 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 to Chinese. Uh, scholars and also for the Westerners, yeah. But the appreciation of this art, the appreciation of chance calligraphy, does not necessarily require that everyone should be able to read Chinese. 
by which I mean, as we have discussed and in this episode, uh, we have, there are three aspects of the three formal aspects of this of this art. So for a Westerner, for a foreigner who does not know Chinese language, who cannot recognize Chinese characters, we can start with the formal aspects. And uh, first and foremost, we can start with with the brush strokes. As we said, we can understand Chinese calligraphic work as a compilation of progressive calligraphic lines. Every character is composed of several correct uh, several strokes, and you can follow the progression of the strokes in a piece of work from the first to the last. Now, when you appreciate Chinese calligraphic work, you start from the top right, and that's that's where the calligrapher started his piece of uh, his, his calligraphic creation, and you read from the top to the bottom, from right to the left. So in this sense, you can understand Chinese calligraphy as an abstract art. And you try to imagine in your mind the bodily movement of the calligrapher, of the artist, by, by retracing, by retrieving, retrieving, retracing the bright strokes in your mind. Rewriting them in your in your mind, that is how such an effect come into being. You just try to imagine them, and uh, you are on the right way to appreciate this art. I think uh, another aspect which would be quite helpful for Westerners to, to understand this art is pay attention is 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 to pay attention to the inks, the variations of the inks. Because far from being stable and monochrome, the inks actually offers a, 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 a range of nuances, the shades, the thickness of uh, the thickness of the ink, the darkness, the darkness of the ink, and also we have the dryness of the ink, the wetness of the ink, and also as like the creation of the individual bright strokes, you can kind of imagine when the calligrapher dip his brush in the inkstone and start a new bright stroke. Because, for example, here I feel the brush is quite dry, and I cannot go on with with this dry brush. I have to dig my brush in the inkstone and start again with another stroke with another character. And now you can sense the temporality. You can sense the temporal aspect of this, of, of this of this Oriental art, and this is important for the appreciation of Chinese calligraphy. So that's basically my explanation for uh, for those who cannot read Chinese. I think these are efficacious, effective approach to this art. In your articles, um, Xiangbo, you talk about the outer form and the inner qualities of calligraphy. What do you mean by this? Um, the outer form and uh, the inner, inner qualities, uh, they are quite related. Basically, I think a piece of calligraphy is a group of uh, progressive uh, individual lines. And the individual uh, bright strokes can be regarded as the smallest unit of uh, calligraphic work, such as the horizontal bright strokes, vertical lines, and the hook, the doors. These are the basic units, the basic components of calligraphic work. And they constitute, and the basic bright strokes, basic lines constitute uh, the individual Chinese characters, the Chinese characters, yeah. And the compilation of the Chinese characters constitute the whole work. A whole calligraphic work, and every Chinese calligraphy teacher would direct the students' attention to these aspects. So the three aspects: uh, individual brush stroke, uh, character, and the overall composition. Uh, so these three aspects could be regarded as the outer form of calligraphy. And by inner or spiritual qualities of a calligraphic work, I mean the subjectivity 
of the artist, his or her uh, personality, sentiment, emotion, and the intention would affect or participate in the calligraphic practice, in the calligraphic uh, creation, and thus, and thus they are embodied in the calligraphic lines. So really, we, we cannot separate the art form and uh, the spiritual qualities for the detection of the latter, for the detection of the spiritual qualities requires a close look of the former, of the formal aspects of the lines, of the compositions, uh, of the formal features of the work. Yes. <laughs> we will talk about uh, the brush stroke in a moment where you will uh, demonstrate to us um, a few brush strokes. But before we use that, what I noticed, because I first started with a pencil when I started to write Chinese characters, but I learned that ink brush, ink paper, and inkstone are essential implements of the Chinese calligraphy. I've even observed other tools like desk pads and paper weights. Mm -hmm. What is it we need to consider to use these tools, as if I can call them? What is the purpose? Tell us a little yes. bit. Yes. No. A Han Dynasty scholar once put it, one of the subtleties and, um, uh, of this art lies in the softness of the, the, softness of the brush. And uh, I, think, I think what he mean, meant is not only just the brush, but also the other materials uh, involved in this art. And today we will say the materiality the materiality, the medium of art, actually plays a quite important role in a specific type of art. Yes, in traditional China, every scorner and uh, every official study room has, has these four writing, writing uh, tools. It's the brush and the ink, the brush, the ink, and uh, the, the ink stone, the ink stone, and uh, the paper. We call the four of them the treasures of the study, the four treasures of study. And the brush is a Chinese writing brush. Uh, it's made of animal hairs, the goat's hair, the rabbit's hair. And this is a rather sensitive instrument and could be rather difficult to handle for beginners. In what to master the brush, the calligrapher has to achieve a higher degree, a high degree of mental concentration mm -hmm. and physical balance and uh, muscular control. Um, long years of intensive training are required to reach a minimum level of competence. And the brush acts like a, a, a seismograph of the mind, answering every pressure, every yeah. turn of the wrist. And paper was another important material uh, for uh, this art. Uh, it was invented no later than the second century AD, uh, that is also in the Eastern Han Dynasty. And it, it soon became readily available and widely used by Chinese officials. Uh, this is important for the emergence of this art. The paper used for calligraphy has uh, absorbent quality, the lightest touch, uh, the lightest touch of the brush, uh, the smallest, the slightest drop of the ink register at once on the paper. Uh, this is a medium that tolerates no error, no corrections, and uh, no hesitation. Uh, the ink stick uh, is made of oil, coal, or pine wood animal glue and perfume. Today, the prepared ink is quite popular in calligraphic practice, but traditionally we use uh, ink stick or use ink stick to grind uh, the ink stick um, against the ink stone into powder. And this powder is then mixed with water in a well in the ink stone, in the ink stone, in order to produce uh, usable ink for calligraphy. The ink, uh, far from being uh, stable and uh, monochrome, offers a wide range of nuances. Uh, its shine, its depth, its blackness, its thickness, 
its joyness and its wetness echoing every mood and the inflection of the of the writing brush. Yeah. So all of the four uh, treasures, all of these four tools, mediums are essential for not only for the emergence of this art, but also for the creativity and for the artistic appreciation of this art, I would say. Yes, yes, you're, yeah. you're completely right. We one really has to be concentrated, and you said control, yeah. control the moment because every mistake is immediately recorded. Because as we will see in a moment, the paper is really, really fine, yes, and uh, captures every every single moment. Can't fool the paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there any rules on how to hold the brush? Perhaps you can demonstrate. Uh, there are basically there are two ways of holding. The brush. The first one is uh, is uh, is called is like this. It's called the double hook. The double hook. And for the double hook, you have the second finger and the middle finger hooking the brush, and the fourth ring finger actually um, uh, act uh, uh, resting uh, resting the brush. And uh, uh, the double hook the, the double hook method you have to employ all the five, uh, five fingers. And f- another approach, another method of holding the brush is called the single hook. For the single hook, you use only the index finger, the second finger hooks the brush, hooks brush, and uh, the, the middle finger is resting the brush like this, yeah. And these two methods of holding the brush are also uh, are quite popular in pre-modern China. And if you study uh, calligraphy today, a teacher uh, probably would recommend the double hook because in this method, the brush is quite stable uh, because uh, it has been, uh, been stably rest uh, between, between the fingers and, uh, and um, and compared to single hook uh, method, the double hook method, it, when you use double hook method, it, you, you have, uh, for the beginners, you have a better control uh, of the brush. It's easier for the beginners to reach a balance yeah, when you hold the brush. What else um, about Chinese calligraphy uh, is there that we have not discussed? I mean, the, the series is called Conversations with Mother Earth. Is there a connection to Mother Earth, to nature? And what else would you like to share with our audience? Yes, um, the issue um, of the relationship between Chinese calligraphy and uh, the external world is actually widely discussed by a lot of theorists. And this is actually quite important issue in Chinese aesthetics, that is the relationship between uh, Chance art and uh, nature. And it's actually a common saying in Chinese art criticism that as calligraphy should imitate the shapes and forms of the natural world. For many, this, is, this would be rather confusing. After all, calligraphy, unlike painting, do not aim at pictorial representation of external objects. I think the point is that things in the natural world do not end into calligraphic works as perceivable visual images. Rather, calligraphers, uh, they gain inspiration from, uh, from natural objects and then create calligraphic forms uh, that embodies rhythm, the movement, and the spirit of the natural things. Uh, we have a lot of metaphorical sayings in Chinese calligraphy criticism, such as a dot should be like a falling stone from a high peak, a high cliff. This does not mean that a bright stroke a dot should be a representation, representation of the stone, but rather the calligrapher should produce a dot that has a momentum, has a propensity, just like the falling Stone. I think this is rather important for us to appreciate this art. That is, even for the foreigners, even for the Westerners who have no idea, who have no knowledge of Chinese characters, who cannot read Chinese, we can still 
pay attention to, we can still focus on the uh, the <clears throat> the shapes, the forms, uh, the calligraphic lines, and uh, try to and try to uh, appreciate, try to understand these uh, lines, these strokes as uh, imitation of the external objects, not the imitation of the images, not in the sense of the imitation of the image, but it, in the sense that it, they are, the bright strokes, the lines, are imitation of the rhythm, of the movement of the external natural objects, the natural things. So this is a quite important issue in Chinese calligraphy, I think should be, uh, should be raised here. Uh, that's yeah. One of the things that I love so much about uh, Chinese art is that actually this, um, the closeness to, to Mother Earth, and this is not only expressed as you just demonstrated in calligraphy, this is expressed in poetry, this is expressed in paintings, with clear rules about the six laws on how to how to replicate nature in Chinese paintings and also instruments, which really surprised me. Even the instruments are built to replicate sounds of nature, which we don't kind of consider in other, with other instruments. And this, this is, yes. it gives this, this, this closeness to this depth, this, this sense of being grounded through, through art. So thank you for addressing that issue. I never kind of thought about that because when you learn the language, you learn it from Kind of more of the practical aspect, but this this closeness to nature, to Mother Earth, makes it really special. Yes, yes, and um, in the West and also in China, we talk about about the, this conception of uh, in harmony with the nature. And uh, I think when it comes to Chinese art, not just Chinese calligraphy, this is uh, uh, a very important, a vital aspect. That is, Chinese artists always gain uh, inspirations from the natural world, and um, and uh, and uh, for the artistic uh, uh, for the artistic creation and uh, the natural sources, the, nat uh, the inspirations they gain from the natural world are. Uh, very important, and uh, it's also the aim, the goal to realize uh, the spirit, the rhythm of the natural world in their in their works, in their creations. Yeah, I think this is a a, a very important aspect of Chinese artistic uh, activities. Yeah, Mother Earth inspires many artists around the world, but mm. we don't kind of give mm. her credit for that more. Uh, here, you know, it's. I think that credit is given more in the Chinese, in the Chinese art, and um, that's one of the things I like about Chinese art so much. Xiongbo, uh, thank you so much for your insights, and thank you for joining us. Writing Chinese calligraphy is a philosophic lesson in mindfulness, dear listeners, as you have obviously seen, because you have to be fully present. As Xiongbo has demonstrated. To appreciate the beauty of all characters, you really have to pay attention. So I'm convinced that many of our listeners will want to know about calligraphy. What sources would you recommend? I think um, a very good uh, a very good way to start uh, uh, a very good uh, place to start with Chinese calligraphy is uh, is the, those museums, especially those big museums that have a fine collection of Chinese calligraphy and Chinese painting, such as uh, the British Museum and uh, the Metropolitan Museum in, in the United States. And actually their websites contain a lot of beautiful works and uh, uh, for, for, uh, for the beginners and for those who have an interest in Chinese calligraphy and painting to start. And, uh, and, uh, and the normally, the captions are quite detailed uh, on the website. The captions of uh, the calligraphic works and chance paintings are quite detailed. And those information would help us to have a better understanding of chance calligraphy and painting. Uh, and that's a very good way to, 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 to start. Uh, and where can our listeners uh, find uh, you, Xiong Paul? Are you on social media? Yes, yes, I have... Um, 
I have Twitter, I have Academia, and what just Google my name, you will find my email address and also my academic affiliation. Uh, yes, yeah. Yes, and your LinkedIn profile, and this is how I found yeah. you. I actually Googled you, and I found, I discovered it's me. I discovered you in the same city by Googling you. Yes, 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 yeah. Yes, and I think... Um, if we want to learn Chinese calligraphy, especially in this uh, in this uh, internet age, in this uh, digitalized uh, age, it would not hard for for you to find materials study. Yeah, and uh, we have a lot. You can find a lot of copy books. Yeah, or calligraphic models. Yeah, by for example, just Google Chinese calligraphy copy books, Chinese calligraphy masterpieces. You will find a lot of works and. Uh, and uh, also on YouTube, we could find a lot of uh, very helpful videos. Uh, um, a lot of Chinese calligraphy teachers, they put the videos, upload the videos on YouTube. And uh, you can learn Chinese calligraphy by watching those videos. And uh, yes, that's, that's actually what I have done yeah, uh, uh, during and the past few years, yes. I'm also uh, in my in my free time when I have time, I was practice this art. Yes, <laughs> that's great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing this this beautiful insight, these deep insights about the Chinese calligraphy and your knowledge and your expertise with us, Yongbo. Thank you for joining Conversations with Mother Earth. Thank you for having me. It's really a great pleasure to 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 talk about this art. Yeah. <laughs> This concludes today's conversation with Mother Earth, brought to you by Grounded Press. Looking ahead to next week, we will talk about shelter, which is a basic human need that not only provides personal safety and protection from the weather, but also a sense of dignity and the opportunity to lead a normal life. A shelter home is a place where we shelter memories as well. So I am assured that next week's episode will indeed shelter you. So stay tuned. <laughs>